0: Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close here with Jeff Mosher and Susie Hunter, and Susie is—I want say—on assignment. Susie's doing something really cool. Uh, she hasn't watched the Phillies in a while, which, of course, uh, I guess it doesn't help us a lot. But, <laughs> but here's the big but: Susie is seeing lots of baseball, and that's going to really help us out as we go along, right? So. Why don't we go right to Susie, Jeff, because uh, she is on the road and she is doing a lot. So why don't you tell us about it, Susie?
1: Yeah, so I'm on my way back from Pittsburgh. This is the eighth stop on my every MLB ballpark road trip tour this summer. I'm doing all 30 parks this summer. Uh, I'm raising money for charity for the Boys and Girls Club. um, And obviously I can't go to Toronto, so I swapped Buffalo out. That's part of my that was part of my recent trip as well.
0: Hey, you might get to Toronto by the end of the season. You could actually do 31 parks by the end of the season. That would if be things, something. If things go well. Looks like uh, Toronto will be playing in Buffalo through at least July 21st. That is the latest uh, news on on that. But but hey, things are getting better out there. Maybe, maybe you still have an outside shot, Susie. You
1: know, I wish I maybe waited because Buffalo was a pretty chaotic trip.
2: <laughs> <laughs> which one so far Suze has been the best like uh, overall experience
1: honestly so I'm leaving Pittsburgh right now and I've never been to Pittsburgh um, I've never been to this ballpark and I think this might be my favorite stop so far because it is like the one that's newest and my favorite um, I, I loved it I loved the park loved the energy um, and it's such a cool city that I cannot believe I've never been to but no, you Frank, know for I, me. Gotta,
2: I have to stick up for Pittsburgh here real quick because yeah. I went to Penn State, you know, and I graduated in the 90s. And um, anybody who was not from Pittsburgh who went to Penn State had to deal with all the people from the Berg and, and their weird accent and the yinzers and all that. And all we knew about Pittsburgh, if you're not there, is that, you know, in the 70s, all there was was a big black cloud hovering over the city from from all the um, from all the steel plants and everything like that. Yeah. And then I actually went to Pittsburgh a few times uh, in the 90s to visit my friends. And I was like, whoa, this is actually a really cool city. And that ballpark that Susie that was was beautiful. But I feel like Pittsburgh in the last like 10 to 15 years had a huge comeback, Susie. And for those who are just seeing it for the first time, it's totally different than maybe what they had heard about it growing up.
0: Yeah, yeah, for me personally, I try try to get there every single year. Uh, when, When people ask me what my favorite ballpark is, I always say uh, Pittsburgh uh, with with the with the asterisk next to it. I have not been to PNC Park yet, or wait, what's it called? Um, I'm sorry. PNC Park. I have not been to whatever they call San Francisco today. I know it's had oh, like that, different,
2: yeah, it's a, always got a different name. Yeah. Right. Pac
0: Bell Slash. Pac Bell, I don't right. know whatever it is called this moment. Uh, but I hear wonderful things about that down in San Francisco. So uh, but with that asterisk, I say uh, PNC is my favorite of the new ballparks. I leave a little room for Wrigley. Because I have not seen Wrigley yet since the renovation. I'm hoping to do that next month when the Phillies head out there. But, but Pittsburgh is great. And one of my favorite things about Pittsburgh now is, you know, I went there not long after it opened. And there really wasn't much in the neighborhood yet. And there weren't a lot of hotels or places to stay. Well, right now, you've got a few hotel options within walking distance right there immediately of the ballpark. And then there's a lot of really good restaurants and things to do, and there's a little music venue there too, so you can have a nice time. Uh, a casino, if uh, Rivers Casino, Pittsburgh is there, if, if that's mm-hmm. indeed that's something you're into. So, whole lot to do right around there. Plus, you can you always hop over the Roberto Clemente Bridge and get into another part of town. I saw you posting some pictures of that, Susie.
1: Oh yeah, I spent, I've walked over that bridge so many times. I'm like, oh, let me go walk to Starbucks. Let, let me just like hop over the bridge. I uh, know every lock on that bridge. Um, I, I did a lot of exploring, I got to say, but uh, we actually stayed at a hotel literally right across the street from PNC Park. So nice. that was absolutely perfect. Rates were reasonable. So that was good.
2: Did you ride the incline up Mount Washington? I'm no, sorry, Mount Washington. I a...
1: <laughs> did not have time to. There were a lot of things that people suggested that I do, but this was a quick trip and baseball was the priority I got to stop home and repack before I hit the road for the long haul, because once I start driving towards Atlanta, I am not coming back until the end of September.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. So, so let's just sort of recap then. So besides Pittsburgh and Buffalo, where have you been so far?
1: Um, I've done both the New York teams. I've done Boston. Of course I've done Philly and I squeezed Baltimore in there too. Oh, and uh, nationals too. Uh, I went to DC. Um, this is probably the worst weather I've been to at a game where they actually played it. It was Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the game was rained down initially. They moved it to the next day. I think there were like thirty people in the ballpark.
2: So, so you got to witness though, uh, in Pittsburgh, like a little bit, a little slice of history. I don't. I, I mean, I know it's been done before, but um, for a player of this magnitude, in Cabrian Hayes, right? You were you were there to see him hit a home run, which ultimately ended up turning into an out, correct?
1: Oh yeah, so this was mass confusion. I was in the bleachers for this and we could not figure out what was going on. We're like, why is it under review? Because it was, you know, it hit the foul pole. So we're like, oh no, but it's definitely a home run. And then we realized he didn't touch first base. And I'm like, you've gotta be kidding me. You're on my fantasy team thank you so much. I had nothing but faith in you. So just like a really weird thing, I cannot believe I was there for it. Uh, it was definitely a very confusing time.
2: Yeah, well, he's on both of my fantasy teams too, so I, <laughs> I share in your empathy on that. It was like a double whammy for me. I only have two, and he's on both of them. Were you able when when you were when you saw it happen, you couldn't tell while he was running that he missed for like nobody pays attention to that, right?
1: it's you know what from where you are in the bleachers you're so far away i feel like even if you're watching it on tv it was from because i've seen the replays i'm like i feel like even if you're just watching on tv like you would probably miss that i mean he was living it and he missed it i don't know it's wild right
0: son of former Phillies third baseman charlie hayes by the way that's right Uh, but uh that he was not the only one yesterday that that happened to by the way which is really funny so uh down in down in texas bobby witt jr now unlike his dad the pitcher he's a slugger hits two home runs except on the second home run he doesn't touch home plate so oh my at God, least that's another
2: guy on my fantasy team i have him
0: as a stash at least because he got all the way around to third he got credited as a triple so he ended up finishing oh. the game now get this he he hits a home run earlier that day he has a single he was a double away from the cycle because he didn't touch home plate so uh it's a good 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 piece of advice for anybody pursuing a cycle just don't don't step on home plate when you when you're in your second home run and you'll have your triple
1: Oh my
0: so crazy 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 uh night for baseball indeed and we haven't even talked about the phillies yet but uh but Susie, tell us a little bit more about uh the charity uh, that you are doing this trip for and how you plan to go about raising some money
1: yeah yeah so i will be raising money for the boys and girls clubs of america i've volunteered with them both in hartford i've done some stuff in wilmington uh but i love what they do and uh, they're champions of youth sports so i want to make sure these kids um kind of have a better summer than they did last summer so the pandemic was just so hard on kids especially especially the kids that those clubs serve uh, but i'm going to be traveling the country raising money spreading the word but i'll get to visit clubs along the way too so i'll get to in atlanta uh they're doing a lot of stuff in colorado around the all-star game uh, and i'm really excited to show you guys along
0: the way well we'll be checking in with you throughout your trip uh, listen drive safely be safe still a little bit of a pandemic out there but it's nice that baseball is open and you're going to get to actually see this trip. did you worry for a while you couldn't do this trip
1: i'm sorry what was that
0: did you worry for a while you couldn't do this trip because of covid
1: I was so worried. So I had this idea in my head last fall. I'm like, next summer, things have got to be better. I have to do this. Uh, When else in my life will I be able to just put everything on hold for a whole summer and do this every ballpark road trip? But I was worried that things wouldn't be opened up the way they were. So like I kind of put off deciding to do it. Um, And then when I realized that it would be possible, um, I'm so happy that I made this decision.
2: How are the donations going, Suze?
1: Donations are good so far. Um, I want them to be a little better. The goal is $30,000, uh, and I'm a little over a grand right now. So my goal is a grand for every ballpark. But we're picking up momentum, and I'm getting really great uh, feedback on social media. People seem to be really into it. So awesome. I just hope uh, those donations keep coming in.
2: Right, so one more we... time. Tell, yeah, well, tell, tell them how people how they can donate.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I've got a landing page for everything to do with this road trip. It's at thesusiehunter.com slash MLB road trip. Um, you can find the links on my social media, too. If you follow me there. I'm at the Susie Hunter on all platforms.
0: All right. We will share that with our listeners. And Susie, drive safe. We'll catch you soon.
1: Yeah. Good luck talking about these films. I haven't watched them in... A couple
0: of weeks, which I feel like
2: might be good for my mental health.
1: Noted. <laughs> <laughs> no
0: doubt. I'm jealous. <laughs> thanks, Susie. We'll catch you later. Hey,
1: thanks, guys. See you, see you,
0: see you. All right. So, Jeff, the Phillies. Hmm. So oh, we last have to night talk uh, about them,
1: don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we. I guess
0: we do. Even though it's more fun to hear about Susie's wanderings of all the major league ballparks. But mm-hmm. last night, I was at a major league ballpark uh, as the Sixers played across the street and sat in the rain for a while before the game began and. Jeff, it was it was another Nola dud.
2: It was, it was, man. I, I remember the conversation we had um, going into the year: is Aaron Nola an ace? And what we what I generally tried to state was that, you know, an ace can be a relative term. It could be the best pitcher on the staff, or it could be one of the top five or six pitchers in baseball. Because after that, it kind of the, the talent level fizzle drops down a little bit. So not everybody's an ace and not every team has an ace. And if your definition of ace is just whoever's the number one on your staff, I don't know how you can call Aaron Ola the ace right now. Zach Wheeler is is clearly a better pitcher and has had better stuff this year and has been more consistent for the most part. And um, Aaron's been a disappointment. I, I don't think there's any denying that at this point. He has been a disappointment this year.
0: Right. So the, a lot of the damage at the end was done with Connor Brogdon and Sam Coonrod. But, but really though, the tone was kind of set by Nola. I mean, the Phillies kind of had to claw back to be relevant again and to, and to to take a five, four lead because Nola gave up four runs in five innings. I mean, that right. that's, that's just not going to cut it in the major leagues.
2: It's not. And it's not that Aaron, you know, he very rarely, even when he's not good, he's, he's not the type to just completely implode and give up 10 runs in, you know, two or three innings or anything like that. But, Um, You're right. He he needs to be a tone setter. You want him coming. And and it's, you know, last night or the other night um, was kind of indicative of basically Aaron over the last month. I mean, he just has not, he's not looked the part of an elite pitcher or a guy who at this stage of his career should be more consistent and trying to emerge into the elite. You know, I don't know if he'll ever be that even when things are good, Frank, because he's just not an – uh, overpowering type of pitcher he's a movement and stuff type pitcher and sometimes those guys have a ceiling and they hit it and then they kind of stop at it but you can be that for for your entire career without having to throw 99 miles per hour and still be a good pitcher but he has i don't know if it's the competition kind of catching up a little bit or if it's just him in a rut and not not being able to locate but he really has had some location issues
0: yeah so nola with the on the season 4.06 earned run average after 13 starts. So yeah. he's he's more than a third of the way through the season. And, and is, is that something that you're going to have to worry about? He's a he's hit, He's four and four with his record. But of course, you know, the not not in the wins and losses are games like last night where, you know, I, for me, the, the Phillies really needed to make a statement in that first game because they just won two against the Nationals. You know They go from four games below 500 to two below 500. So then you start mm-hmm. thinking, oh, well, OK, well, maybe we can kind of dig out of this. You know they have a day off, and then they're facing Drew Smiley in his six ERA and his ERA and managed to go down last night as the Phillies just could. Now, now the Phillies did get a few runs off of him, and and they continued to get a couple more off of uh, Shane Green's return to Major League Baseball, but it's it, it overall just just disappointing.
2: Well, I mean, it's a nut. It's it's this team in a nutshell. I mean, they are a one step forward, two steps back kind of team they've been that way all year Uh, you know they go and have a nice series in Washington against the Nationals with all that bad weather as Susie was referring to but they take two of three then you come back and you you know you have a day off and then you just you got no on the hill and you think you can start to make your move here with the Braves and the Yankees who've been struggling coming up the Braves have not been very good and Aaron doesn't give it to you and then of course the defense Frank I like Look, there are things that you go into every year thinking are going to be good or bad, and then you get surprised. Like last year, we probably knew the bullpen wasn't going to be good, but I don't think we could have predicted that it would be epically, biblically as bad as it was, right? I could have never predicted going into this year that this defense was going to be awful, and it's not even one or two people. it it feels like it's pervasive throughout the whole team, whether it's a pitcher, outfielders not catching balls, infielders not getting the plays. I, I can understand Joe Girardi's frustration here. It-, it feels like it's not fixable because it's a different person every night.
0: Yeah, last night, Sam Coonrod throws a ball into center field, which arguably led to a couple runs. And then Oduble Herrera misplays a ball in center, j- trickles right by him. I'm describing mm-hmm. more of this because I assume a lot of people were watching the Sixers last night, <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, I had my phone on in the press box watching from, uh, from afar and Rob Motti in front of me was watching <laughs> on his bigger screen. So I, got to...
2: <laughs> while he was writing a football story, so he was writing a football story, watching a baseball game and no watching an NBA playoff game and covering a baseball game. That was yeah, he's cool.
0: a Jack of all trades, but, uh, but, but, but yeah, that's it's the same story here that, that that the defense different night. Reese Hoskins sort of boots a ball. Uh, by the way, I will add Gene Segura sort of emerged from that little rut. He was in for a little while. While if you remember, Joe Girardi kind of snapped at him, basically not not because he was a pervasive problem, just because like, oh, come on, man. You need to be the guy that, that catches the ball in this in this in this in this, in, in this uh, infield. Right. And uh, he turned a really nice double play last night. That was pretty impressive. So, mm-hmm. so at least you have at least at least you have <laughs> Gene Segura. But but beyond that, I, I really don't feel that great about uh, about the uh, the defense otherwise. But uh, so is this a bullpen issue? So so it seemed to me last night people were upset about the bullpen. And, you know, Brogden comes in, gives up three runs. Two of them only two of them are earned. And then Coonrod comes in, gives up two runs. They're not earned because it was his error. <laughs> right. So, um, but so, so would you call it a bullpen issue or, um, or for oh, me, mean, is it an Aaron Nola? If Aaron Nola gives you seven, I mean, even if he gives up four runs, that's the difference.
2: Yeah. I, th- that's a fair point. I mean, obviously, um, Kuhnrod comes in and gives up the, um, the home run to Austin Riley, which was like, <laughs> no doubt about it. Bang. You know, you'd like him for him to be able to, I know Austin Riley has been, been, been hot lately, but that that's kind off of Brogdon. Yeah. Brogdon I'm sorry, i sorry. What did I say? Brogdon? Yeah. Brogdon. Yeah. Uh, Brogdon gives up the home run to Austin Riley, but, I, and then you have the error and then you have, I didn't think they hit other than Riley's hit. I don't think the ball was, you know, jacked off off these guys last night. It seemed like a, an error and a couple of singles and all of a sudden the floodgates open. So, but look like if Aaron, if Aaron Noah had given you seven, shutout and those guys came in and did the exact same thing, then it's still a tie game, right? How many, because the, the Braves got the Braves got
0: five, it? the Phillies, five. they yeah. went into that inning up a run and then emerged four, four down. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, uh, that, that was the thing that just sort of, it was like the balloon just went pop just yeah. like that.
2: Then they were also, I thought, sporadic offensively. I mean, you get a nice safety squeeze. I mean, look, you get a home run from Harper um, some, some good hits, but, like, I don't understand how this team is so sporadic offensively. You know, one night they're, 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 they're scoring 17 runs against the Reds, then they're losing 2-1 to to the Nationals, then they're winning 12-6 against the Nationals, then they score some early runs against the Braves, and then they get shut down. Like, I, I have – there is no consistency with what to expect from the Phillies offensively night in, night out. Maybe that's the case for every team this year or most teams – because of the, the pitching and the way it's, you know, we can talk about whether these pitchers are using substances or not. Or I, I don't care. The point is, um, it's like, I don't know what they hang their head on, the Phillies, as, as offensively or even from their pitching staff, other than Zach Wheeler, who's been fantastic.
0: So one thing that was the case last night, Phillies leave 10 runners on base. Yep. I mean, so the, they had opportunities to kind of put the game away. And then instead, they let the Braves hang around. And then, as you see here, then then the inning kind of collapsed. So, and how many so,
2: strikeouts last night?
0: The Phillies struck out. Let's see here. I'm just going to quickly run through I feel like uh, Hoskins twice, once. Only four. To, only only four times. Yeah, four, <laughs> that's probably a good day for them. <laughs> that <in> is <laughs> strikeouts. Yeah, only only. Uh, only I mean, they've four. had many
2: double-digit strikeout games this year. I mean, it's really been. That's been surprising to me. I mean, I know that, again, that's another thing, the way the game is turning. But even just as just as last year, they, they struck out a decent amount, but they put the ball in play a lot, too. They scored a lot of runs with basically the same lineup.
0: By the way, interesting, interesting stat here. So so as a team, they left 10 on base. But if you look at the individual batters and, and what they left on base, the number is 24. Uh, so... If you, so the the way that they track these stats sometimes is a little 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 different depending on how you go because you if you realize the same batter you know mm-hmm. if if you're up with with no with two on and no outs well then the two batters that make out one and two that adds up together so that that's why that number is higher if you look at that particular column of the books of the the box score but as a team ten left on base but one more thing I want to talk about for last night's game I don't want to spend all our time on on last night's game because there's some bigger picture questions although last mm-hmm. night's game is kind of the epitome of this season. But Luke Williams, you know, really interesting debut he has here. So I thought it was kind of neat. I thought the fans gave him a lot of credit. Uh, he got a nice applause from the uh, Citizens Bank Park faithful coming up to bat. I guess they were paying attention to his work with the Olympic qualifying team, which which, by the way, I turned to Kim to Tim Kelly of Odyssey Sports and, and just kind of said, hey, are they that knowledgeable? And I, and he said, yeah, I guess they are. Uh, but Uh, Luke Williams comes up and he bunts for a base hit on his first major league plate appearance, which, which is, I think it just blew everybody away. And then he advances two bases on an error that he kind of caused by, by, by shocking Drew Smiley. So
2: what a cool debut for, for Luke Williams. It was a cool debut. And uh, the fact that he bunted for a base hit really made it that much more special. Um, I look when Philly's guys come up, they seem to, you know, whether it's Nick Mayton or Alec Bohm last year, or even, you know, some of the pitch, you know, I think Howard Spencer, Howard when he first came up, had a decent outing, not, not so much, but they seem to do pretty well right off the start. But, uh, you know, it's when things go on. So hopefully that's not the highest point of his career.
0: By the way, nice, nice, nice uh, profiling player for this team right now. You know, as a bench bat, he can play any position except pitcher and catcher although I'm sure he's the guy that you throw into pitch someday in a blowout, uh, but, um, but he's a right-handed bat. So the Phillies haven't had that. So it'd be really interesting to see what the Phillies do when Adam Haseley comes back in a week or so. And, or, you know, or if he doesn't come back, but you still have Travis Jankowski and, and Matt Joyce's left-handed uh, bench options. Um, you know, he, he gives you a little bit of balance and, and of course, Brad Miller too. So uh, be interesting to see what the Phillies do when, when Didi Gregorius comes back and they, mm-hmm. they need, a right-handed bat. So he, he might have some staying power on this Phillies team, but let's talk some, some bigger picture stuff. So something interesting happens uh, the other day. Finally, it sounds like it had been in the works for a while, but the well, Phillies finally, it.
2: what's that? You, pre- you, I want to give you credit for predicting it. I mean, you talked about this probably going into the season in March 29th. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, but who's looking it up, right?
0: <laughs> no, I did. have to. All right. So what, what we're talking about is the Phillies outrighted Scott Kingery off the roster. And that was something I had written back in March that the Phillies should try to do. Uh, And I thought my my rationale was either they clear a spot on the 40 man and they're not locked into calling him up when they have injuries or someone claims him and they're out of that money. So, but, you know, I, I guess the one question would be at this point was. If they had let him go back in back in March and if they tried to put him on waivers, would somebody have claimed him or would this year's this year have been enough to convince somebody otherwise.
2: I suspect that if it happened back in March, there would have been a better chance of somebody claiming him, thinking that they can kind of work with him, then doing it now when rosters are already set and everybody's got injuries and they have to bring up like capable, competent players and, and fill that. Now it becomes way more difficult to add a player who is a, what do you want to call a reclamation project? Right. Mm. I mean, there's probably only two teams that would do that at this point, and that would be like Pittsburgh and Detroit, Uh, although I'm sure there's another two or three teams that are not doing well. And and Uh, actually,
0: you you mentioned them. They might do it via trade and expect the Phillies to eat a lot. So I suppose it could still happen if somebody somebody is up for something like that. So actually, that might be an interesting thing to watch as the Phillies try to make some moves at the deadline would if they pick up like a useful bench player from a team like that. No,
2: No. eats. You wouldn't trade him? (laughs) No, no, I would trade him, but I'm not a, I'm so Look, this will be part of our big picture conversation. At some point, you have to stop lying to yourself about who you are, right? This team being 500 and maybe, or or competing for the NL East does not make this team a good team or a championship caliber team. And I think we're getting closer to having the discussion about blowing this thing up than we are about adding to it, which they've done year after year after year now with the same results. I just, I think you have to have that serious conversation about how you've built your team, the flaws in it. You know, we've we've talked about this, when when 80% of your most productive players are free agents, that's why you're hovering around 500 team under 500, but you're up against the luxury tax because you are overpaying for talent at way too much position. Now, I'm not saying the talent's bad. I'm just saying you're paying above market value for too many players. So at some point, and that's because they couldn't develop any during the during yep. the, the latter years of Ruben Amaro and then there, any of the uh, Matt Clintack years. At some point, this organization has to get into the mindset of figuring out how to rebuild its farm system so that they don't have to build major league team the way it's currently built
0: by the way lest you forget Ruben Amaro's last draft pick was basically i guess he did get get a pick in 2015 but but he was responsible for arinola right and, and once yes. before that really kind of the five years of johnny amraz didn't seem to do much of anything no, you know, that was North, all under you know, joe that was all under matt clintack so uh right. so right. tough tough to tough to throw amaro in this just 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 saying um
2: well but, he, he drafted avery i mean uh, savory right he had a couple of bad first round. That
0: picks was before maybe. he was GM. That wasn't was Mike Arbuckle. That wasn't Mike Arbuckle pick. Yeah. So okay. so,
2: but but, right. but Arbuckle did a hell of a job. <laughs> yeah, you I know, was going to so. say I'm not I'm not going to be the guy that throws Mike Arbuckle. No,
0: no. <laughs> Arbuckle was responsible for all all that that great yeah. talent the Phillies had in their in their championship run. But 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 here's here's my thing. So the, I I totally get what you're saying with 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 thinking of blowing it up. But two things. First is one. I guess you got to see them all healthy, right? So um, this is something I've been saying a lot on the air is that that when Gregorius, Real Muto, uh, Harper and Segura all are in the lineup, that the results are much better than otherwise. Right. So you talk about they're they're your big money talent. The four players make up 37 percent of the Phillies salary. Mm -hmm. So. You need them all there and you need them all playing. In fact, I, th- I would argue that even the three games since Bryce Harper has been back, the whole lineup looks incredibly different than if you have sure. Brad Miller thrown out in, in the outfield. And, and the defense is way better, right? Because Brad Miller isn't an outfielder and and Matt Joyce, quite frankly, has failed in his role as the fourth outfielder and, and wasn't providing them anything. So you have to throw Brad Miller out there. So. Uh, So I think you need to see them get healthy and see where they're at at the end of next month before before the trade deadline, because I I suspect they're not going to be bad enough to totally blow it up. Right. You know, they're they're almost going to be in the spot where you don't want to be if that's where you're going to be like stuck. Right. There's there's a lot of teams that will be stuck a little in and around or just over 500, which means you can't totally. Uh, you know, rebuild or you can't, you know, and really you can't, I mean, when you consider that you have Zach Wheeler, Ari Nola, Bryce Harper, JT Romuto in their prime, like you got to try to win, right?
2: Um, you know, if you can try to rebuild your franchise and win at the same time, which is difficult, you could do that in the NFL, very difficult in baseball. I just don't look, I, I'm not saying trade Bryce Harper by any stretch of the means. Of course you don't do that. And you just signed real Muto. But guys like Segura, guys like Hoskins, guys like Nola, perhaps, depending on what you might be able to get from I do think that you know, you're making a good point as far as let's see when they're healthy. I just can't guarantee that they're going to be healthy. And if this team is just a 500 team, which right now they're not even, but even if they're only one or two games above, by the deadline, I think you're going to have some really difficult decisions to make. Because – but who, I, I, you can't yeah. really
0: even unload anybody, right? I mean, like the type of – I mean, Herrera and McCutcheon, they're your two free agents to be. Like, they're the one – I mean, unless you trade Archie Bradley and just deal with David Hale all yeah. summer. You I You could mean, probably like- trade
2: Alvarado. You could probably trade Bradley. You could probably trade DD if he comes back healthy and strong and somebody's looking for uh, a good bat for the postseason run. I, I would imagine you could trade Hoskins if someone's looking for a bat for their their playoff push. See, yeah, I think those types. I think
0: movies. I think the Hoskins type trades. They 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 need to happen in the off season, right? You know, those are the those are like the That's fine. we need to reconstruct. And I think That's next fair. off season, That's a
2: probably a fair point. Yeah.
0: And, and next off season will be really Dombrowski's first, right? I mean, like a lot of the yes. decisions were made before he arrived right. in December. So, but it
2: doesn't really change what their needs are and what, and what their identity is, right? And they are a team right now. That is built mostly on free agents, high-priced free agents, and they they can't be that way for much longer. They, yeah, I don't because they're not getting better. You know what I'm saying? They're just rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. Although that's a little, you know, I mean, the, they're not a sinking ship. They're just more like a ship, an aimless ship.
0: Yeah, very, very true. But uh, you know, I think I think though this team does not have Dombrowski's foot you know, fingerprints on it. Right. You know, so I, I feel like that identity is it's kind of up to him to make this identity. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, that's something he could have done from December to, to no, February. Yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> no, no, I, I don't blame Dave for the position that they're in now. And I had higher expectations for this team going into the year. Um, mainly because I, I, I guess I was right about Atlanta and Washington. I wasn't sure I picked Atlanta to win the division, but I didn't think they would be that strong. I remember you, you recently said you thought the Mets had the most win in the division and right now you're looking you're two for two with the uh, Scott Kingery outright mm-hmm. and uh and the Mets so far leading the division but I
0: will say this though the Mets the Mets if, if you take away their current 10 game run or whatever it is like they were they're they're just right back where the Phillies Phillies um, are so yeah they have <laughs> I mean any team too. any team can go on a hot streak and sort of separate themselves and and yeah. who knows the Mets could come back down to earth I mean if they have another injury well then uh, you know they're they're the Mets started to get a little healthy in some regards, but they're they're still one injury away from kind of being where the Phillies are. Right. So, I mean, uh
2: I would say though that their bullpen has probably been the most consistent bullpen in the national league East so far, you know, with the Phillies having their injuries and kind of uncertainty, um, the Braves bullpen has been God awful. God, I, you know, Sean Newcomb, there was a time I thought he was going to be a really good pitcher. I just thought, you know, left-hander with really good stuff. I don't know what happened to him, but you know thankfully it happened to him because he's he's not been that good of a pitcher and he damn near decapitated uh, Harper the other night with his wildness but but yeah their their bullpen's been a disaster. and the Nationals, I know Hudson's been good, but their closer um, uh, is just starting to kind of like Brad hand, right he, he had a rough start, you know so but but they're they're kind of uneven as well, but you're at right, the you know the Met bullpen throughout all the injuries. Has been decent, and I think they're getting Seth Lugo back if he's not already. So that's that's good for them. Yeah, I
0: was I was just checking on on Seth Lugo to see where where he's at, but yeah, they definitely missed him. I mean, that to me that was Lugo was a yeah. it Looks like he is active now, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a big blow. He's he's appeared in two games so far, giving him three scoreless innings. Or excuse me, no, three innings, one run. So, right. um, so so they definitely missed uh Seth Lugo, who looks yeah. like he was activated just. Um, just, just last. Okay. on the 31st. All right. So they're kind of easing him in. So I think they're trying to pick his spots coming back. Like, like the Phillies have been trying to pick Archie Bradley spots after his injury. So, mm-hmm. um, that's why Archie Bradley pitched in the fifth inning yesterday or sixth inning, excuse me, not, 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 not later in the game. So, but, uh, right. but, but yeah, you, Seth Lugo is probably going to only go up, uh, from there. So, um, so yeah, so that's a, that's a good point. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, with, with the injuries there, the, you know, the fact that the Mets still don't have Betances, they don't have uh, Carlos Carrasco, Noah Syndergaard, of course, and mm-hmm. um, those are those are three big pieces to, to be without. Um, Jeff McNeil still on the IL, JD Davis yeah. on the IL, uh, Taiwan uh, Walker
2: pitching like on the IL is not something I saw going into this year either.
0: You know what? I, I he was somebody I thought the Phillies should have would have gone for. I, you know, I I was I was always a uh, Taiwan Walker fan. Yeah, um, yeah but you know. They could, you know, it probably was um, he was the type of pitcher like like Chase Anderson, like <laughs> Matt Moore. I mean, they're all kind of in the same category. Right. Just Just right. Pick your maybe flavor. It's a matter of luck here that the Phillies uh, didn't didn't grab Walker. But yeah, Walker four and two with a 217 ERA and his 10 yeah. start. So he's, well, I can uh,
2: say I can say that I, you and I I'm ha- I'm proud that you and I for for two plus years now have been on the Ranger Suarez. <laughs> Because at some point, the way things are going, this guy's going to wind up being the, the third starter.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's it's would be tough to lose him in the bullpen. I mean, he's he's come up I big know. and inherited some really big situations. And mm-hmm. I, I just remember what was that game? Uh, I remember watching it while I was in. Who did they play before the Rays? Because I was. Oh, the Marlins. Marlins. He yeah. comes in with the bases loaded and and like no outs. Like just 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 what you want to walk into. But the way he just his poise, he just kind of walked in there and was like, all right, let's see here. What am I going to do to get these out? just totally calm and collected. He gets them out of the trouble. But uh no, if he like ends up starting, already. you know, I mean, is is uh Spencer Howard gonna give you enough? Now we have two starts in a row. Vince Velasquez to show that he is not rejuvenated and and uh um all of a sudden figuring things <laughs> <sighs> You know, I mean, I know I was I was very skeptical still, even after a few starts. But uh you know the only thing that seemed to be different w- different was that Velasquez said, "Okay, well, I'm a pitcher now, not a thrower," which is something a lot of people said for so long be a, be a pitcher, not a thrower. But right. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to re- revert to. It's not that hard to revert to your old self.
2: Right, but don't you think even in that that the bigger issue is not Vince Velazquez, who we already know what the book on is, but it's the fact that. Spencer Howard is, you know, his velocity isn't there. I mean, his, his command is okay. is not, not really. I mean, he has certainly not been the guy that he was built to be a year, year and a half ago. And, and he's had opportunities.
0: He seems to be the, make a reliever in the making. I say that because it's always, it's always, he gets to the third, fourth inning and he hits a wall. I mean, he just, he just can't, he just can't go deep. I mean, in which case they're going to have to make a really important decision somewhere along the way. I mean, and, and I say, it's a really important decision because there's no doubt that, that uh, he can be electric mm-hmm. and if he's allowed to come in for one inning and be electric and he's able to, and he's, and here's the thing. He has to also show that he has the stamina to do that on one night. And then also the next night. Right. Without necessarily having a day off in between, but that's something you're going to have to eventually see if he can do.
2: Well, as someone who has been a nervous doubter for most of his career, uh, I am rooting so, so, so much for Hector to continue on his torrid pace this year. And I give him a lot of credit for doing it. But I do think going back to my initial um, discussion about looking at the bigger picture, now that's a perfect trade candidate at the mm. deadline if you don't believe that you are competitive to win anything this year. Because great, everybody wants back end relief and closers, and uh, everybody's willing to trade for guys. Who have a modicum of success at that position? Look at the guy that Braves got from from the Giants a couple of years ago. He's he's thin. He's not that good. He uh, Will Smith. He was good that year with the Giants, and they traded for him, and then he got a big contract. But it's not that good. So um, I would be happy to take some some uh, capital, right? Uh, prospect capital from a team in a trade for Neris. Hey,
0: especially that's the thing too. Like if my, the problem with kind of hanging in there. Like you can make the decision to trade Neris and decide that you're gonna try Spencer Howard in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and see if he works out in that role over a period of the last couple months. So that that's a very, very good point you make. But yeah, Neris uh, with a 190 ERA at this point, um, 29 strikeouts and 23 and two thirds innings. So yeah, he's given them a lot. Um, he hasn't been perfect, but but no closer is right. Uh so that'll be uh that'll be that's that's a very good point you make. And definitely something to watch as the season goes on and remember the Phillies actually uh, did not pick up his option at first and then went back to the arbitration board and and reassigned him for less right so uh, which was which was an interesting thing that they did I you know he very well could have been off this team so uh, Mm -hmm. depending on how they played that so
2: no, but I give, I give Hector a ton of credit, Frank. I mean, as, as much of a critic as I've been, as I have been, and, and I'm, I'm not hundred percent convinced I'm not on the other side now. Like, Oh yeah, this guy's a, a future closer. No doubt. I am. Look, he added the slider. I think there's no question that when all you really throw is a split finger fastball, then it helps to add a different pitch to give uh, batters a different viewpoint. It's helped him. He hasn't been perfect, but for a closer, to have this deep into the season, twenty-five appearances, one-nine ERA, one-one hundred one WHIP. That's that to me is fantastic. I mean, he has been nothing short of of terrific. I think on on this team, and I have to give him all the credit in the world for doing that because I didn't believe that he could do it.
0: Well, one last thing before we we close for today. So we're talking about the long-term uh, outlook of the Phillies. And up the middle, the Phillies might have somebody ready to take over either shortstop or second base next year in Bryson Stott. Uh, last night, he made his debut at double-A Reading, Two home runs uh, in his first game at double-A. He was pretty decent at, 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 at high-A Jersey Shore, formerly known as Lakewood. Uh, but um, two home runs the first game. And it seems like you know the Phillies were, were kind of using him at short and second. Lately, he's been playing more shortstop. That bears watching, too. Uh, because both Gregorius and Gene Segura are signed for next year, but mm-hmm. they could be trade pieces for somebody this offseason if the Phillies are ready to give Bryson Stott a starting job. So he's somebody who could move up the, the, the organization quickly, like Alec Boehm did in 2019. So he's already at a second level, and it's only June 9th. Uh, you could see him in AAA before this is done. And again, depending where they're at in September, maybe he could be even a September call up but lots we, to watch could
2: we possibly see a, a Maton-Stott infield tandem uh, with Baum and Aboma at a, a third there in, I don't think I don't think
0: Mayton's a starter that's 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 me I, yeah, I you know I think he is what I thought he would be which is a nice utility player mm-hmm. uh, in the major leagues that how was my color? that was my impression before he came up and he had that nice hot stretch but like a lot of major league players they figure out how to pitch to you that's and true. you got to learn to make the adjustments. So we'll see how he does with that down at AAA. Uh, but he's certainly not—he's certainly not lost in the way that Scott Kingery got lost and and Maton, I think they wouldn't hesitate to call him back up if they needed to uh, throughout this year. But yeah, uh, th- those are the types of players you could see in this Phillies infield going on. But um, but again, big picture questions, which which might which might uh, be better figured out as we know the, how the Phillies do. In July and August. All right. So Phillies have uh, two more against the Braves. Tucker Davidson, a rookie, pitches on Wednesday night. Hopefully the Phillies take advantage of his inexperience, so that by Thursday, when Zach Wheeler and Ian Anderson match up, it's a good pitching matchup. Uh, the Phillies can hang, right? So you, you you know this this if you if you couldn't take the Aaron Nola versus Drew Smiley game, <laughs> they need to take this game.
2: No doubt about it. And Ian's been hittable this year. I mean, he's had some good starts. He's had some okay starts. The whole Braves, you know, Max Freed has had some good starts, had some some pretty bad uh, starts. So you got to start to make your move at some point if you're, if you're going to be real here.
0: Phillies need game two. All right, well, we'll be back talking baseball the rest of the season for Susie Hunter on the road. I'm Frank Close along with Jeff Mosher, and this has been the Powder Blue Podcast. We will catch you next time.